2: I'm Camille Charrier. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter, where we sit down with
1: some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. And
2: we're back with episode two of season two. Long live season two. We told you we'd come back.
1: So we all know that Instagram is very addictive
2: in the first place.
1: But as Eva reminded us last week, the team over at Instagram and Facebook are constantly developing new ways to improve functionality of these apps to make them more attractive to individuals and businesses. And in short, basically, keep us keep us scrolling as
2: long as possible. So Kemi, being the super grammar that she is, is even apparently having a new function tested on her yeah, i haven't seen that but yeah well this is what eva was saying that um you can now find out exactly how many hours you are on instagram a day which is actually i quite don't want to know yeah i mean what is it
1: how many hours today i don't i don't thank god i can't use my phone in the recording studio so i don't have to airplane
2: mode airplane mode exactly this is our detox Well, I guess we would all like to think that we're in control, but I have to say sometimes the temptation to share ever-increasing amounts about one's life on a regular basis can be totally overwhelming. Yeah,
1: and I think also there's temptation to show your life through a very rose-tinted filter um, and therefore make everything just look very sweet and fun and amazing. But of
2: course, nobody wants to air their dirty laundry in public. I mean, some people do, but most people want to make their share the happy stuff and, you know, make themselves look good. We pick photos that show the good times, happy moments, thrilling travels, well-curated outfits mixed in with a smattering of artistic, cultural stimuli, and, of course, our best personal angles, which we know because we're on Instagram all the time. It is logical.
1: Yeah, but what happens when the need to paint your life in a different light than reality takes, well, takes over your life? Well, joining us today is the journalist, consultant and newly published author of Why Social
2: Media is Ruining Your Life, our friend Catherine Omrod. We are thrilled to have Catherine on the pod. Uh, I know I've admired her point of view since um, she first brought it to us in the industry over a decade ago through her writing for Gratia UK, Glamour, Matches, The Independent and The Sunday Times Style. Today, her website, Work, 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 is the go-to anti-perfectionist platform for our generation, where well-known members of the fashion and media industries present no-BS uncensored versions of their working experiences. Yeah, instead of pretending
1: like everything comes to them without trying, as is so often the case in today's perfectionist, me-me-me, online-filtered culture.
2: Yeah, it's super refreshing. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a breath of fresh air. Check it out. So, Catherine's book takes on just this— Why Social Media is Ruining Your Life tackles head-on the pressure of the unattainable perfection we see all around us on a constant basis via social media. If you prefer the
1: Instagram version of yourself, read this book, writes Rachel Thompson in Mashable.
2: This book is a call to arms from the eye of the storm, writes Emma Gannon, author of The Multi-Method.
1: And friend of the pod, Pandora Sykes, meanwhile, called the work a vital manual which will help you navigate social media and turn it into not a weapon,
2: but a useful tool. And now, for an extract read by the author herself.
3: Does social media make you better or worse at your job? Apparently, it's a contested question, but I think we all know the answer. Let's create the scenario. You get into work on a Monday morning all fired up and ready to go with a mental to-do list playing through your mind. You nail the must respond emails and as a reward have a quick check on your phone to see if anyone has messaged you. You see your family WhatsApp has accrued 31 messages so you decide you'd better catch up now or you'll be lost forever in the thread. While you're doing that, a push notification comes through from Instagram telling you that an old school friend has commented on that gym pic you posted from class this morning. You immediately respond. You also see you've had seven new emails and two texts. Mentally, you add them to your to-do list as they're much more interesting than the work you've got to do. So you approach them first. After all, you did nail those emails already this morning. Approximately 22 minutes later, you return to your work which just doesn't feel quite so satisfying anymore. But you exert some discipline and focus. You realize you have 19 windows open on your desktop. Seven minutes later, you hear your phone ping and somehow it's back in your hand again. You put it down and try to recapture your train of thought. What is it that you were writing again? Maybe it's on one of those tabs no that's not it but now you can definitely tell your friend holly that she should buy that dress Ugh, back to work the cycle continues torturously until lunchtime when thank the lord you can scroll without the guilt as you walk and text to the closest Pratt. you reach the end of the day and while you've managed to tick off most of your original to-do list you've also watched three youtube videos Spent 47 minutes on Instagram, looked at 12 pictures you could add to Instagram and Googled lots of core synonyms to help you write a seriously witty caption. Didn't post any of those 12 pictures. Replied to six WhatsApp conversations with a total of 54 messages. Pretended you were researching a new marketing objective while actually updating your Snapstreaks, checked your Tinder inbox about seven times, and also inadvertently bought a pair of Mew Mew-alike shoes from Topshop, as you saw they were on sale on Facebook. Oh, and there's a DM from LinkedIn. Maybe it's a new job you need because this one seems really exhausting. The sun sets, you're the last one in the office, and your scattergun gun brain is frazzled. All you can think of doing is tumbling onto your sofa and ordering a takeaway, while sitting all evening long watching Netflix with your laptop open and your phone twitching relentlessly in your palm. Sound familiar?
2: Catherine Omrad, it's so great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And thank you from that chilling excerpt <laughs> of your new book, Why Social Media is Ruining Your Life. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: And I think a few of us can recognize ourselves in that short little, um,
3: I, yes. I don't know if it's a few of us, I don't think this is a niche activity, no, I don't think, think it's pretty easy. universal. Okay, most um, of us, most, yeah. most of us might recognize yeah, a chunk of our day there. Exactly, and I don't think it's an age-based thing or anything like that, I just think, you know, this is how we're all living our lives now. It's true.
2: Well, before we get into today, uh, can you take us back a little bit and tell us about your career? Before social, social media, media took wow. over. In the days of old. In the days of old.
3: <laughs> How so,
2: long have you
1: worked
3: in the fashion industry? So I, I started interning when I was 22. I just um, started my master's degree in the fashion history, which I have a master's in, which has really been useful in my career. Not anyway. <laughs> you know, it was useful to me on uh, some level I suppose at some point but um yeah so I started interning at 22 and I'm now 35 so I've been doing this for 13 years um and in the beginning of my career things were really different although there's always been a digital component to pretty much everything I've done and I think that that's I guess part of a lot of our lives of that kind of like cross-generation where you've kind of cut your teeth in the old school but had to adapt very quickly to the new world. Um, So I was the first online writer at Matches when it went online. So as soon as it became MatchesFashion.com and I wrote everything. So that's copywriting, all of the product descriptions, marketing copy, all of that kind of stuff because it was so, you know... Later at the time. It just, you know, it was
2: just me. I did that same job elsewhere yeah. and it was revolutionary. I did it, it, I did it, I did it, it for the
3: Porta. It yeah. was. And it was like people thought you were like some kind of tech wizard. Yeah. But you you kind of weren't. You were just... You were just our generation. Yeah, yeah. And also you were doing product descriptions. Totally. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it... But anyway, irregardless, that kind of part of that job, I think, carried on with me throughout everything. Um, and I think... You know, I then got a job back at Sunday Time Style, which was still a very kind of traditional um, job. I was a a stylist assistant to different um, fashion editors for three years, two and a half years. And then I moved on to the features desk. Um, And then I left that job and moved to South Africa. Had a little stint at Glamour Magazine out there doing bits and bobs with them. And um, yeah, then... Came home and started working for a digital um, fashion forecasting agency. So that was the, my first like fully digital job, um, and I did that for a, for about a year and a half. And on a trip to Tel Aviv, I met the fashion director of Grazia, who happened to be looking for a new senior fashion news and features editor, and I got that job. But the job that was a bit of a coup.
2: Yeah, it was amazing.
3: It was great. Uh, you know, I am. Um, They were looking for someone with a bit of digital experience and who'd done a different type of job. So I guess I'd been traveling for like 18 months, setting up this, um, you know, the fashion department of... uh, A trend forecasting agency. So I'd kind of seen fashion from a different perspective. That I'd been doing everything from Basel through to all of the collections and Copenhagen and, you know,
2: all of that kind of stuff. So clever them for spotting that in you.
3: Yeah, it was good. It was good. So then I I did that job for three years and that was like a proper, proper sitting on front rows, doing London, New York, Milan, Paris, you know, every season, um, writing every week. Uh, you know that for the website or the magazine for both so I looked after all of the fashion content on the website so that was writing it and editing other people's um and then also writing in the magazine you know interviews but a lot of trend features as well so it was really multi-paced I guess because obviously you know when you're working with a designer on a, uh, an exclusive interview or something that can be like three months in the planning but equally I could be working on something on a Monday that's to go to press on a Thursday or I could be working on something that needs to be up in an hour's time so it was really interesting kind of seeing you know across the board the type the different kind of lead times that you can have on content and then I left in the end because I just couldn't deal with Earning such little money. (laughs) And I know that sounds really depressing, but it got to a point where I was living two such different lives. And I got back from a trip from Tokyo. I think I'd been to Tokyo, then straight to New York. And I'd been staying in like ridiculous hotels and business class flights. And I had a really bad toothache. And I came back and I went to the dentist, and I couldn't afford to get the filling. I had to ask my dad for the money.
1: Yeah, fashion industry paychecks. No, no but yes,
2: it's important to talk about this. It is. So, you Especially know, for our younger listeners. Exactly.
3: So from the social media perspective or whatever I, anyone was looking from the outside of my career, it just looked like I was living the life. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was in a house share, you know, I had... I, you know, I just, I, I was living paycheck to paycheck, but not even that. I couldn't cover, like, the month, you know, even oh, though I was... I was
2: oh, I, I had the exact same experience before I went freelance. Yeah, exactly.
3: Anyway, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to lose anything by trying something new, you know. Uh,
1: at this point, were you already were you already using social media? Was this, was this already something that...
3: Yeah, so um, my editor at Grazia actually is the reason that I... Uh, Got onto social media as part of my career at all. She.
1: And when we me say social media, do we
3: mean Instagram? Instagram. So Instagram. before that, yes, I was on Facebook. Yeah. Like I was all on us. Facebook yeah, well. from the first. But again,
1: that was more friends and family. Yeah, but from. Uh, we were like, I guess,
3: early adopters the first year that kind of had it. Yes. I was at university um, mm. and I was in my final year. So. I kind of have nearly my whole education without it, but we got <gasps> past.
2: That's interesting, because I think I arrived at Edinburgh the year you left, Yeah, and I arrived with having had Facebook for one year, and I cannot imagine my experience at Edinburgh University yeah, without, without the, having had exactly. Facebook, even though it was, you know. Exactly. So well, only... I only right had in, it in high
3: school. Yeah. When I was well, I am older than you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, but I'm not older than Monica. <laughs> Monica was the same age.
3: Yeah, she's saying she went to uni. But you already had it before uni. I you know, really had, had, sure. had yeah. it when yeah. you were in Boston. I've seen pictures of you in Canada. Where oh, don't I? even. You've seen. I've seen the sure. When I've we seen got the it, guys. we really <laughs> got it. I think we all did, though. We were so naive with it, weren't we? And, you know, you'd yeah. put messages on people's walls that were like, oh, basically oh. used it like a wall as a WhatsApp. Oh, do you like, remember you know, the dread? Do you remember the dread percent? of coming back from a
1: party in the morning and you were going to be tagged in some awful pictures? You were going to have to text your friends and say, please untag me.
3: Why did you put this up. I had a BlackBerry up to that point yeah. when my editor was like, no, we need someone on the fashion desk to be doing this Instagram shebang. So I started doing it and I was traveling so much. You know, I was away two or three times a month on a, a trip for work. Um, so it really made sense. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, not that I think... Obviously, at the point, I was still taking pictures of pretty things, but I was so unsophisticated and bad at it mm. look, do you know what I mean? Looking back, it just seems like so quaint and sweet. Mm. And then um, my first picture
1: on Instagram is a picture of my McDonald's lunch. That's well, my first things thing. haven't changed that, that, that much, Cam. <laughs> I mean, I, I I looked back the other because I was trying to remember, and I said, "How could this be what your yeah, well, entry?" All of our really listeners are
2: madly scrolling back yeah. in their feed <laughs> right and now. do you I remember
3: how yellow all your yes, pictures yes, were with the yellow like, filter? Those really weird, like filmic borders that you put on things. Just like, anyway. Because
2: originally they started it to be like a hipstamatic. Yeah, exactly. It was a filters exactly. thing. Exactly. It was like you wanted
3: to, it to look like it was 1971. And, you know, it was just... But it was also like felt more like a game. And there was... It was just very... There was much more innocence to it.
2: Obviously... Not a game. Things changed. <laughs> and so... Facebook's not a game anymore either. Exactly.
3: But over the past five years, obviously it's become... Like one of the most important things to my career in terms of making money and, you know, building, I guess, my personal brand for everything beyond that. Um, You know, it's your digital CV, it's your digital business card, it's your digital social call card, you know, it's the whole thing all together. So, you know, I guess. Things have changed so dramatically from that beginning point. Um and then I guess it was when I left Grazia that I it started to be, become more important and I started to become more professional about it.
2: Um and But while you were at Grazia, built. did that did having your own personal publishing spot with some followers distinguish you in any way? Kind of, it was tricky.
3: Like, I think for everyone that was doing that at that point um, in publishing, it was really difficult yeah. because your your magazine owned you. They owned any words that you put out there. They owned any pictures that you took with another brand, you know, it, it was... Um, it was a really funny time because on one hand obviously these magazines wanted you to be out there and spreading the word and you know doing all of these things which would reflect back on the magazine mm. really well but equally it was problematic because mm. you know you've all, you, we'd all signed contracts that mm. said that we couldn't work independently with fashion brands or so anyway I went off actually to set up a, a small agency to help brands with their digital content because I'd been working quite a lot on the kind of um, advertorial side of things at here and I really saw that it was a great opportunity. There still is an amazing opportunity for journalists of, you know, every background, mm-hmm. um, because every brand now needs pictures and words. So, And every person is their own brand, it well, seems. Well, exactly. I guess, yeah, I guess to a, an extent. I, 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 really, at that point, I still hadn't entirely realised that I could make that side of things my living so at what point did you yeah and do you consider yourself an influencer now I'm many things to many people (laughs) I think that a lot of us are like I think um, Emma Gannon's book you know the the multi-hyphenate that whole idea of multi-hyphenate career, multi-hyphenate generation. We used to call it like slashies. That's or, what
1: Garance Doré wrote an article years ago saying that we were the, the slasher generation. Yeah. Yeah. I've recognised exactly. myself in that. Massively, you know,
3: like, massively. And you know, writer we used photographer. to call it a portfolio career, right? So it's really difficult. I basically switch up how people describe me How I describe myself Depending on the context of the conversation Because sometimes the fact that I've been a journalist for 13 years Isn't relevant, you know Like you kind of have to not be precious About it because In this instance, in whatever Context that maybe someone wants you to do You know, post some pictures They literally couldn't give two figs That mm. you've had a whole career in. Although
2: are you sure about that Because I actually think that Nothing is totally separate. Everything lives on the internet and the fact that you Are now a published author. I've been a journalist for important publications for so long. I don't think that anyone's I mean, you also have lots of Instagram followers, but I don't think that people miss that. I, I don't actually think, think people, that we're all being looked at as this sort of... Yeah. I think your followers don't miss it, but
3: I think yeah. sometimes you'll work with brands who literally only care yeah. about ROI and how many clicks and how many That's likes. That's true. And they really... They... I don't like them that much, though. I don't either, but it's like, <laughs> you know, what you're going to do equally, you've got you've to make your money and, you've yeah. gotta, and you have to understand, like, for them... I get it from their perspective, like yeah they've got people to answer to, and you know they it's really really difficult isn't mm. it obviously but mm. so in those instances, I probably would say, yes, I work as an influencer and I have a website, you know those are the things that are more in relevant to them you know I'm an author, I have a book i I'm a mum for most of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like if we're talking about hours spent on any part of my career it's being a mum, you know, I write articles freelance. I work with brands as a consultant. I take pictures and write words on social media. I have a website where I talk about anti-perfectionism and yeah. like women's issues and feminism. Like, it's very. How do you encompass that in a word? You don't really
2: do you? Don't. Do you? <laughs> All right, Gemmy, how long have you spent?
1: Are you going to on... ask me this every week?
2: Well, I'm genuinely. curious. Well,
1: you know, I I couldn't find the feature that Eva was uh, saying was being tested on my Instagram account. But there is an app called Moment in the app store that tracks it sort of it it, it runs in the background of your phone and it tracks how many hours you spend on each of the apps, WhatsApp and Instagram, etc, etc. And I have to admit that I downloaded it and had it on there for about a week and then deleted it because it was too upsetting. How long no. I was spending? <laughs> Do you
2: remember how much you were averaging on Instagram? It
1: was too much. I was at least four hours,
2: I think. I've heard worse, though, to be honest.
1: Yeah, but I don't think Instagram is my worst app. I'm I, my my guilty pleasure is WhatsApp.
2: I can and confirm. voice notes. I can <laughs> confirm that to be true.
1: Yeah. Someone said to me once, are you ever not online on WhatsApp? Which I think is, it's a bit distressing. It's a very teenager, you know, like it's like MSN days when you were always the
2: person. But you can't go th- offline on WhatsApp.
1: Well, you, you, when you're not online, it doesn't say.
2: It's not like you sign into ICQ.
1: No, but when you open WhatsApp, it says online. Oh, you know, yeah. when someone is online on WhatsApp, it just says online. I love the
2: sneaky people that where the ticks don't go blue when they're reading your message it stays grey don't I have that? So co- I have that? No, no you don't I take it off sometimes when I'm being really dramatic <laughs> yeah but I have a lot of friends who do this and I'm like wow do you think
1: what do you think is the app you the most? Um, is it social media?
2: it's Instagram Instagram sure. yeah but I, a lot of it is positive like I'm getting inspired I'm sure you are I'd like to say that it's like the newspaper's app, but unfortunately... It's Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's Instagram. Okay,
1: let's get back to Catherine then. So from from hearing all of this, you have been using Instagram obviously to earn money. Yes, and it has helped you further your career oh, in a for positive sure. way. For sure. So why write this book? Were you not worried that you were kind of you know the expression
3: about to bite the hand that's feeding you? So, firstly, there's a reason it's called Why Social Media Is Ruining Your Life. It's not called Social Media Is Ruining Your Life Explanation Mark <laughs> because I think that there are lots, there are two main strands why I think social media is ruining your life. Number one, it's the way we perceive the content on social media. Number two, it's the way we're using it. I don't believe that the technology is inherently negative or nefarious. I think that the way that we as human beings are currently utilizing that technology is really problematic and dangerous. So, I'm not dissing what people have built on social media Other people's brands, other people's businesses It's an incredible facilitator for many, many positive things Including organ transplants, you know And people can build such meaningful and important relationships through social media However, in saying that at the moment, for a lot of people, the negatives are outweighing the positives it doesn 't need to be that way, you know as soon as we really become mindful and conscious of those issues and the way we are using it and the 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 steps we can take to make things more positive for us and for the community as a whole. things can change i mean, I think we should be more specific
1: when when you 're looking at someone 's feed, why do you think it why do you think we're Get it what do you think we're getting these negative thoughts from?
3: Well, there's there's a statistic that says 7 out of 10 girls under 16 now feel prettier offline and um, prettier online than they do offline. Because
1: we're filtering ourselves and putting
3: up the best version and of And picking the best. Yeah. You take so, 25 photos this and pick one. Well, you pick 25, then you filter it, then you like this it so it's a process, isn't it? Like this is the thing you'll you, Who knows how many pictures you took to start off with. You know, maybe it's 25, maybe it's 100. You then whittle those down to the top five or six. While feeling quite upset about how you look in all the rest of them. Yeah. Or, no, actually... I think just erasing that, yes. just you know, delete them. Didn't never happened. Never happened. <laughs> I, I never. I don't that's it. No, yeah. Never, never. happened. That's, that's not me. That's <laughs> not me. That those were just so. Why do we You're think right. we're like they're so majorly unflattering? I couldn't. Possibly it's not possible. Look like yeah. that. However, these ones, these are so flattering. But that's how I look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. you don't want to admit to yourself. For me, it's the
1: opposite. I get really stressed that actually I look only like the bad ones.
3: Well, there we go. And that's, I, so
1: when you see a good picture of yourself, I just feel like that's not actually what I look like, I, I feel that's fake.
3: We then play around with the lighting, um, you know, there are uh, many myriad um, applications that you can you use face on your phone to take
1: away that period spot that you've got on your chin. Well, mm.
3: you know, or me. I mean, I I really am very pedantic about a few things. Um, I really don't like cigarette butts in my pictures or green wheelie bins. Like I I managed to remove those. Those are things I don't <laughs> feel that they're you know, um, having a big impact on a a woman who follows me, you know, body shape issues, but I am in some way making my life look prettier than it Mm. actually is. But is that um, the only thing you edit out? Pretty much, because I think it's really important that I look the way I look, and I have pores. One of my least favourite things about um, Instagram is the fact that people seem to have plastic skin, and I just... Facetune. Well, exactly. And you can see it a mile off. Like, I can see it a mile off anyway. Well, so it's
1: the Kardashian generation. It Everybody is. wants to... It's either very good makeup or, yes, there's a lot of filters that go over it, but people have convinced themselves that that is what you look like in a picture. It's impossible.
3: Exactly. And, the, you know, the level of filters that are being used... Like, I've I interviewed some plastic surgeons for the book and they were saying that people were coming into the surgeries and showing them a picture of their face with the Snapchat attractive filter, whatever you call <laughs> it, shots. and saying, Can you make my face look like
2: the, the way better I better version look? of my Yeah. I they mean, look, if that doesn't show you how cigarette society yeah, is, what? Well,
3: I mean, apparently, before people used to come in and say, I need my chin done or my nose done, and now they say they want their face changed. And it's like, Where do you mm. go from that? Because They don't like anything about their appearance. They believe every single part of their face needs to be altered. But this is
1: the problem. When you spend your life looking at pictures of yourself,
3: yeah, you can become very you, myopic, you start, for sure. You start,
1: like, you start being obsessive about little things yeah. that nobody would
3: notice yeah. in real life. So my, because um, the camera, yeah. it, it, it's quite cruel, the camera, you know. But it's not even just that. We now have thousands and thousands of scrollable pictures of ourselves on our phones all day, all night. You can, you know, scroll through these pictures. And because, as we mentioned before, we're deleting the bad ones... Comparing ourselves to a version of ourselves that actually um, probably didn't entirely exist, exist the because world. it was. You're only keeping the flattering shots, mm. you know, and you are a mixture of the unflattering and flattering. You're somewhere in between. Yeah, you've got good and days, you've the got truth. bad days. You've also got, you got your
2: brain and your heart and your soul. Oh, oh, yeah, Monica, that's you had a cut, you know. It's true. But you don't
3: store your brain and your heart and your soul. Well, on your, hopefully, on your, you on your put iPads, it across a little do. bit in your captions, too. I wear my brain on my sleeve. Yes, <laughs> you do. You, you know, obviously, this isn't all that matters, but... No, but you're right. It's very difficult because, you know, a a, a picture speaks a thousand words. And more than anything, one of, one of the ways that I believe that we can really change up the way you use social media is the... One of the big problems is it's the first thing you're encountering in the morning and the last thing you're encountering at night. And this is the moment, the moments in life, your rise time and your sleep time, when you are most vulnerable to... Any kind of message, you know, and I speak to a lot of people that say that they look at social media before they go to bed and it starts to invade their dreams and they think about things or they'll see something, their friends at a party that they weren't invited to and they'll have anxiety feelings and then won't be able to sleep and wake up at two o'clock with like problematic insomnia, you know. There are so many moments of the day where you're much better able to deal with the barrage of information that social media offers And I truly believe that first thing in the morning and last thing at night aren't those moments So one of the big things I talk about in the book is making sure you don't have your phone in the bedroom ever You know anyone that is interested in self-care buy an alarm clock you know you don't need your phone in there there are a million reasons that you can like come up with why you need your phone in the room like I've had many of them in the day the alarm clock is one of them when I had a baby there was another thing that I was like updating when he woke up and when he went to sleep so it's like oh no I need the phone in the room now so I can you know there's there's always going to be a a reason the real reason was that when I woke up in the middle of the night I wanted to look at social media to yeah, you know? see if anybody's like your picture while you're asleep. To see if anyone's liked my picture when I was asleep, you know. Guilty. Because, you know, that yeah, is. Yeah, guilty as well. And do you know what? What if they did? Great. Are you going to go back to sleep really easy and have like really chilled dreams? Probably not going to make much of a difference. What if they haven't? Like, what do you open yourself up for then? A midnight sitting there worrying why people haven't liked you, you know, why you haven't got that validation, what you're lacking, why you're not enough. Well, wouldn't
2: you say we've all opened ourselves up to that constant
3: I think we have, but you know, there, there, there are ways to have social media in your life, understand that there are dangers that you are able to navigate in the same way as with anything, you know? With alcohol, yes, we understand that alcohol presents potential dangers. If you have a glass of red wine with dinner every night, it's absolutely fine. If you, like booze up on two bottles of vodka on a Thursday night, less fine, you know. (laughs) There's a reason it's called a feed. You are what you eat, you know, when Mm. it comes to social media. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought it was. What you put in is what you get back out, Mm. you know. So if... If you spend your time, and that the the social media companies themselves delineate between two types of social media use, one being active, one being passive, and if you're active on social media and you are vulnerable and you form relationships with people based on something more than a pair of shoes, you talk about things, you're open and honest, you build actual communities around what you're doing. that is one type of social media use the other type of social media use where you don't put anything out there you lurk you creep you stalk (laughs) you know everything about your ex's new girlfriend you know everything about a girl at school who bullied you but still seems to be really successful even though she really doesn't deserve it because she's such an effing bitch you know (laughs) that's called the hate follow it's the hate follow and these are two very different types of using Social media, and thus they have two very different types of impacts on our both our mental and Mm. and physical health. You know, Mm. so really, what this book is about is identifying a lot of the things we're all doing unthinkingly, um, and the our attitudes that we've like developed and grown over the past five six years, um, and just giving us a little bit of a wake-up call but then saying, don't throw the baby out for the bathwater. So many of us, beyond just people that have a social media career, need social media for their careers these days. You know, just stopping using it isn't So nev- you've never thought of deleting your Instagram? Never. Because it's 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 it, like, it, that would be like saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, give him my notice tomorrow. You know, it's, it's part of contemporary life. Mm. It's a media platform like No and it's opened hour. a huge amount of doors. Exactly. So it, it would be like saying I hate newspapers or I hate books or I hate the radio, yeah. you know. It's here to stay.
2: It's here to stay. And it has democratized the fashion industry it to a large
3: extent. Been. It's not just democratized the fashion industry, it's changed cultural mores and yeah. um, you know, attitudes about all different things, you know, yeah. it's changed the face of power. In terms of political and cultural power, the, the people's voices that we hear now are so so more diverse. You know, it's things like miscarriage, for example, has completely changed the conversation around that. Uh, you know, you can't say know, think all about bad. things
1: like hashtag Me Too.
3: Exactly, yeah, and I mean, of course, there's the flip side of that from you know the collectivist. element of like how much are people actually politically engaged with quite a lot of social media politics but you know and the echo chamber exactly the echo chamber but although I do feel in lots of ways something like Instagram or YouTube where you as the user have an active choice in who you go out and follow I th- feel like f- Facebook, the algorithm is much more echo-like. Mm. Um, but there's something about the, the, the fact that you have to put someone's name into that search bar to find them to follow them. And that's another thing that I it's talk It's starting to change. They're starting to put up sponsored content on there too now. They are. They are. And of course, this will all all yeah. end up it's in the same place. It's constantly morphing, isn't it? It's,
1: exactly. This is the other thing about Instagram that I think people need to remember whether you use it for your career or just as a way to sort of communicate with your friends is that the algorithm is changing the whole time and you don't have control over that. So there's no point sort of getting upset if things change. It could just be that they've changed the way the feed is being presented to you. And
3: I think equally one of the big, big takeaways that I hope people take from this book is remembering that it's very easy to think that social media platforms are this kind of like entertainment place or space for you to go out and share lovely pictures and blah, blah, blah. And obviously... That is one of its uses but that's not how they make money how they make money is by using your demographics and personal information it's and data. selling them
2: selling them to advertisers so can we get like a sort of bucket list of <laughs> how to use Instagram or social media responsibly
3: okay so number one remember that it's only 1% of someone's life. It's just a snapshot. You have no idea what's going on in the background. And when my book came out, I, I started a campaign online called hashtags, why social media is ruining your life. And I posted a range of pictures, which originally had had captions saying things Probably as basic as like Golden Hour or (laughs) Short Hair, no care. I mean, kill me. Like the worst, (gasps) worst things. Neither of us has ever posted.
1: Come on. Come on.
2: Okay. Hey, I posted
1: a picture with said fire sign two days ago. I I feel bad now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I posted Golden Hour like a week ago. Yeah.
3: (laughs) You know what? What can we say? We're we're all basic. What can we do? Anyway, (laughs) it is what it is. um So, you know, I reposted the pictures with. Um, uh, you know, pre-seed version of actually what was going on in my life at the time and you know what it was all pretty, I've had really difficult moments over the past six years crappy things have happened to me sad things have happened to me and you know, I just wanted to be honest about that and it was brilliant everyone should check can it out. can you give us an example maybe we should read out one of one of the captions oh god i mean yeah i mean we could definitely do that so one of the pictures here's a the, let's get I let's guess, read one i yeah. think i guess i don't want to say the funniest one but um i guess one of the more relatable ones um was a picture that i had posted originally at new york fashion week um And, you know, it looks all snowy and I'm wearing like a big poofy skirt and, you know, standard fashion week, New York in the background situation. But the reality, in short, of what was going on was that my husband had just left me. I'd found out that thousands of pounds were no longer in my bank account and I was struggling to get my landlord to let me out of my lease. In addition to this, as a total rebound, I'd also had a fling with an American guy who'd persuaded me to come early to New York before Fashion Week to see him. On a crazy whim, I decided to go and book the hotel room, which he said he would pay for on my credit card. I had so much anticipation, had decided to use the money I did have left to get to wax, unless feeling like I was about to start the next stage of my romantic life. But then I arrived and um, he stopped answering my messages. Oh, Finally, at midnight, I got a text saying he couldn't actually make it as he had to go to a hockey match. <laughs>
2: A hockey match. A hockey match.
3: <laughs> I never heard from him again, and all I was left with was my Brazilian wax and the hotel room bill. <gasps> then I had to do fashion week, having not just been left by my husband, but also the rebound guy. It was brutal. Oh. But that was the picture I posted.
1: You know, and yeah. that's the reality. So a picture doesn't say. Doesn't picture say doesn't a tell you
3: anything. It it shows you a moment in someone's life, and you have no idea whatsoever what's going on in the background. So if you're taking, if you're comparing yourself to other people on social media, you have to understand that it's not necessarily a fiction, but it's such a, a non-representative version of anyone's life. So I think, for example, if something isn't going very well in your life or you're feeling really hormonal or you've just had a crappy, crappy week at work, it's really important to learn to take your emotional temperature. And I think, like, a lot of my American girlfriends who are in therapy are really good at this. They're very self-aware of where they're at mentally, whereas I think here in the UK, we're not. We kind of just, like ping pong ball through the day <laughs> and you, you know get home at night horrible. get home at night and you're like oh I just look at my phone and you you're already actually at two out of ten so that is not the time to go onto social media yeah because you're going to be like seeing a barrage of lots and lots of positivity and happy messages and happy pictures of people doing really well on their life because that's what social media is and it's going to make you feel like crap you know however if you're having a really good day and you've woken up feeling fresh and you are ready to be inspired, mm. then go onto social media. Mm. You should be going onto social media to be inspired, to learn, to explore and discover the world. And meet
1: people. I've made and great friends people. on social exactly, media. Exactly,
3: exactly. So the third point of that is we hear a lot about unfollowing people that make you feel bad, and obviously that's a good idea. But ultimately, if you're not replacing those people with people that are expanding your horizons and making your life fuller and richer, then really all you're doing is taking away the people that you're jealous of. You know, that's that's what you're doing. What you need to do is completely reframe the context of your own social media experience by ensuring that the people that you follow are expanding your life rather than, you know, just that that it's people that you already know you know and I think sometimes when you've spent 10 minutes scrolling on your phone it's worth taking a moment saying okay what did I see that was new and interesting and what did I learn from that 10 minutes of my life and don't get me wrong obviously it's nice to sometimes completely tune out and you know Spend 10 minutes not thinking about anything and just, you know, zoning out of life, of course. 10 minutes is fine. When you realise that it's been like 13 hours a week, which isn't unusual, you know, to have spent that kind of time on social media, you have to kind of think, okay, where am I going with this? What am I getting out of (laughs) this? 13 hours of zoning out of your real life or else spiralling down of your real life. Not good. Make sure you're just in a really, you know good space when you go on it and curate your experience to create the most positive reaction.
2: And you know what? I think Eva, who we interviewed in our last episode, would probably agree with you on all of that. That's cool. Eva
3: Chen.
1: Yeah. And I think to close this, I'd love to know who you stalk online, who inspires you and who are your favourite accounts to oh follow? Oh my god,
3: I've got loads. So one of my favorites is F Your Beauty Standards. I love that account. F Your Beauty Standards. Yes. I didn't know, know that. And it's like... like all different uh, the most diverse beauty that you can imagine. And you know, not just body shape but skin and you know, ethnicity, colours, creeds, shapes, everything. Cool, um, cool. So I really Check enjoy it watching that's that. Cool. Um I think that um there's an amazing girl called Lucy Sheridan. She is what probably the first um, comparison coach, I think, out Comparison? There. What's yeah, a comparison? Yeah, so her j- job is to coach people through struggles with comparison. Oh my goodness, comparatitis, I feel that's my biggest, I, 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 mean, I
1: have comparatitis, I, yes. it's a sickness.
3: So she's she's an are, amazing, it. amazing account to follow. She had like, lots it. of um, personal issues and she felt that she had become completely living her life through comparison to other people, but... Through addressing that, it's moved, she's now moved on to to form this career where she helps people not just on social media because comparison obviously didn't right. start on social media, yeah. but a lot of it is um, underlined by social media. So she's a great account. Um, Lucy uh, Sheridan, Lucy Sheridan. We'll put these all in the show notes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that you she's, can go and she's really yeah. great. Look them up and then also you know i i love following people who come from completely different communities to me um different backgrounds especially finding out how they're raising their kids and you know how they're making their homes and you know it's If I want to find out stuff from my friends and people like me, I can do that with WhatsApp or call them up. But I use social media to find like a completely different version. It's almost like, you know, fancy lives. (laughs) Because you could do things completely differently. So I'm like following mums in Denmark and in North Africa and like the the American South and just seeing all of these different types of experiences. And I love that. And with that, because I, I do have another account where I just cover um, baby being a mom, stuff, yeah, baby stuff. It's called Mama Loves Grey, and um, one of the accounts that I thought was amazing, and I actually interviewed Jessica Zook for the book, is I had a miscarriage, and it's an incredible account where she shares stories from around the world of all different types of women, um, just really undermining the taboo and having mm-hmm. a conversation around it. So those, you know, those are some of the accounts that I like following, but it's. There's there's everything out there Every subculture, every interest The whole world is on social media Horses for every course Go out (laughs) there and find your people Don't just think that it has to be The people that brands are working with Or the, you know all of that stuff is exactly. for you. Exactly. Thank, thank you so
1: much. Thank you, wow. you Catherine. And the book is available where? Everywhere. 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 everywhere.
3: Yeah. On that on that everywhere. On that really good place <laughs> called Amazon too <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And it's available um as an audiobook. It is, and I have a um, For you podcast. On Audible. It's it's on Audible and I um recorded it, so it's my voice. <gasps> Um, bonus bonus I have been told English accent but, um, it really helps people go to sleep I'm not sure it's a compliment but you know <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is you know at, at least it's calming it's not going to stress you out listening to me
2: perfect <laughs> well Catherine thank you so much for joining us thank you links to buy Catherine's book are in the show notes and don't forget to rate
1: review and subscribe so as not to miss a single one of our episodes since we're being such regular little um, podcasters nowadays.
2: See you next time. See you next week.